Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 237 of the Fun with Cars Motorsport Miscellany, a brief rundown of the motorsports we care about. I'm Robin Warner. It is Friday evening, Eastern Time, on the 22nd of June, and I want to start with a brief look at our schedule of upcoming races. In Formula One, the eighth round, the French Grand Prix, is coming up on the 24th of June. That's just a couple days away. In IndyCar, the 10th round at Road America is also the 24th of June, also a couple days away. And I'm looking forward to both of those races. Um, those are two tracks that I actually have experience on. And we haven't seen Formula One cars at Paul Ricard in a very long time, decades. And IndyCar and Road America, just those two go together so well. Road America is kind of the IndyCar spa where the cars just get a chance to flex their muscles and really impress with their speed. Not quite the same levels of power as Formula One, but IndyCar is still you know, easily reaching 190 miles an hour, a lot of well over 100 mile an hour corners. Uh, really interesting stuff. The carousel, the kink, it's super cool place. In the World Endurance Championship, it is going to be the third round. It's a six-hour event at Silverstone on the 19th of August, so quite a ways away, um, almost two months from its last race. And in IMSA, the sixth round is going to be at Watkins Glen. That's also a six-hour race, and that's coming up uh, on the 1st of July. Today, we are going to talk about the second round of the World Endurance Championship, which was, of course, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And we're focusing on Le Mans because I was there. I recorded the last episode at the airport because actually I was about to board a plane headed for France. Now I'm back and I have a lot to share, but first, here are the top three finishers in each class. In LMP1, the overall winners were Toyota Gazoo Racing. They finished 1-2. The number eight car was the leading car. They won, and that was piloted by Sebastian Buemi, Kuzuki Nakajima, and Fernando Alonso. And that they were a couple laps ahead of the number seven car, the other Toyota, for the 1-2, but they were 12 laps ahead of the third place finishing Rebellion Racing entry, which is kind of no surprise and also still really, really impressive if you think about it to be that far ahead. Now, there's this weird thing uh, for the top LM, LMP1 class. They called it equivalence of technology, but basically the Toyotas were hybrids. The Rebellion Racing car was not, and that made all the difference because the hybrids use something like half, less than half as much fuel as the uh, non-hybrids did per lap. So it was something like three and a half liters instead of seven and a half liters per lap. And just an incredible number if you think about it. So if you think about advantages of refueling and how long stints could be and all these things, not to mention, you know, having Toyota money <laughs> to get these cars around, not to mention the fact that Toyota had been doing this since 2012 and had not won, even though they won the World Endurance Championship a couple of times. So that was uh, a long time coming, but it was, ironically enough, Fernando Alonso's first go, and he was in the winning car. So that suited him. He shares that stat with uh, Nico Hulkenberg, which is certainly a nice stat to have. In LMP2, it was the Cinetech Alpine Mal Malmut racing car that, that won the race. Uh, number two was a Graf SO24 and number three was United Autosports entry. 
That's Zach Brown's team, who also is the CEO of McLaren. And that was also the entry of Juan Pablo Montoya. So Juan, Juan Pablo Montoya gets an LMP2 podium in his first shot at Le Mans. So that's a nice thing. Now, that was interesting because the original winner of uh, the LMP2 class was actually disqualified for a refueling part that wasn't to spec. And apparently the claim is that they could refuel much faster than was legally allowed. But the team that was penalized, G-Drive Racing, they are actually going to contest that result. So we'll see if it stands or not. Probably will stand if I have any real understanding of the ACO. That'd be my guess, but you never know. In the uh, GTE Pro class, which in my mind has been for the last few years the most exciting class to watch, it was a Porsche uh, GT team 1-2. The 92 car won ahead of the 91 car. And in third place, it was the Chip Canassi USA team uh, in the four GTs. What was interesting about that class was there was also penalties there. This time around, it was different, though. So the penalties weren't as severe, but still damaging because it didn't affect the podium. But both uh, the team with uh, IndyCar driver Scott Dixon and the team with IndyCar di- driver Tony Kanan did not meet the minimum time that each driver had to spend in the car. Uh, and it was Scott Dixon and Tony Kanan. So you're supposed to, each driver is supposed to spend at least six hours in the in the seat to be to follow the rules. And Tony Kanan was something like five hours and twenty minutes. And Scott Dixon's, I don't know his time, but part of the problem with Scott Dixon's entry was that that car had to spend like two hours in the pits during his time, and that is what affected he his stints. And I don't know why that wasn't adjusted or couldn't have been adjusted to get the other drivers out earlier when that could have happened, or maybe it was just the last two hours or something that just kept him from it. For Scott Dixon's team, if they spent two hours in the garage, they were 14th in class. That's not really anything to worry about. But for uh, Tony Kanan's team, they were they were like fourth place and got dropped down to 12th place because of these results. So as a result, it was actually fourth place was Corvette Racing, and they were originally fifth Um, as the checkered flag flew. So once again, that was an interesting class to watch. In the GTE amateur team, it was actually Patrick Dempsey's team, Dempsey Proton Racing, that won. Um, Spirit of Race was second, and that's a Ferrari car with um, Giancarlo Fisichello, among other people. And the third-place car was Keating Motorsports, also in a Ferrari. So those were the results of Le Mans, but far from the whole story. So I was there and it's the first time I've been, of course. I mean, you know, it's an ocean away. It's not the easiest place to get to as an American. And not only was I there, I was in the infield. That's where I had this little, uh, like kind of crate cubby thing that was big enough for a bed and a shelf for my carry-on luggage, but not much else. So it was basically camping. We had communal showers, communal bathrooms, and I was literally a 15-minute walk from my bed to my grandstand seat, and I had access to everything. I could. I heard the cars constantly. Lamar is huge. It's this vast place. The track is eight and a half miles long. The infield just has so many different options and opportunities to see so many different aspects of the race. So 
there's obviously the race, but hundreds of vendors, restaurants, crepe stands, a big concert area. There were uh, various cars on display. There were like basically full restaurants. It was just kind of this immense festival almost. You know, people were there days and days ahead of time. People plan on staying for several days afterwards. I hear some people stay as long as like two or three weeks. And it almost seems like this like random, in a way terrible, in a way amazing campsite that just happens to have a race going on in the background. To see it and experience it for the first time was in many ways overwhelming. I wasn't prepared for it. And coming away from it and getting home, it's like, well, you almost can't be prepared for it because you don't know what to expect until you're really there and living it. And, you know, as a journalist, I had more access to things than most people did. And it was still, in many ways, roughing it. So it was just really an amazing experience. I wrote an article about the experience, which a link will be in the show notes. And I'll also put a link up on the Facebook page. Pretty sure I already did put it up on Twitter. So if you want to read what I thought of being at Lamar, you can check it out. And in addition to that, I also took a helicopter ride and got to see basically take a lap of the track via helicopter. Um, the helicopter lapped the track in about four minutes, which is roughly the same time that a GTE Pro car can lap the track. And it was really amazing to see the helicopter was not as fast as anything was in a straight line and indeed could not match the prototypes for lap time either, despite the fact that I think this helicopter, if I'm honest, cut a couple corners. But uh, I took video of that. So there is a YouTube video of me and my lap in the helicopter. And I'll have a link in the show notes to that as well. Facebook as well. Twitter as well. So that was a cool thing to check out. In a nutshell, that's all I have to say about Lamar. But like I say, really, in a lot of ways, this is more of a conduit to hear about all the other things I did. I mean, you know, for my my own personal Twitter account, which the Fun With Cars account, I shared a lot of that with. There was a lot of little videos and pictures I took of me while I was there. So you can check that stuff out as well. And do I want to go to Lamar again? Absolutely. Uh, would I pack differently? Yes. <laughs> I would pack very differently. I would probably have a bigger crepe budget. I would bring less dressy clothes and more clothes that were less dressy so I had more options. But uh, anyway, that's that. It is now time for Britishisms. And this particular Britishism is brought to you by Jaguar. It came from a conversation with one of their guys about the difference between the Project 7, which was a Jaguar F-Type, and the Project 8, which is the sedan, the Jaguar XE. I asked him, what's the difference between these two? And he said, well, it's chalk and cheese. And I'm like, what? what is chalk and cheese? Basically, what chalk and cheese means, apparently, is there's two things that are totally different from each other. And I thought that was such a quintessentially British thing to say that that was the opening line of my story about the Jaguar XE SV Project 8. I'm going to have a link to that on the show notes as well. That car, the Project 8, was just this super bonkers car that we got to drive on a racetrack called Autodomo Internacional Algarve in Portimao, Portugal. Crazy track, great place. In a lot of ways, I wish Formula One raced there 
But anyway, I will have a link to that and you can see that. And I will also explain in detail chalk and cheese. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get this podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.